if you're using a, a, a Bible app on your phone, we're in the New Living Testament, John 21. So you could turn there this morning. <clears throat> um, we're going to look at the third appearance of Jesus after he raised from the dead this morning. Is anyone excited that Jesus is alive? I, I don't get tired of that. I'm excited about that today. Uh, every day, Jesus is alive. And uh, super excited about it. So thankful to celebrate his resurrection, his presence in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about learning to walk by faith, not by sight. Um, eventually. But before we get there, can I ask you a question? Do you believe God is for you? I know we're supposed to answer yes. You know, that's the Bible answer. It's kind of like being a, in Sunday school class. You know, the teacher's talking about a little furry animal that climbs trees and runs around in the park. And, and she asks, what do you think it is? And the kid's sitting there going, uh, you know, I know it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus because I'm in Sunday school. The answer is always Jesus. So he answers Jesus for a little animal climbing trees. In the park. Anyway, I know the Bible answer. God is for us. But I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that God is for you? I mean, really. Deep, deep down in your heart. In light of maybe some of the circumstances. Uh, maybe, maybe in light of, you know, the areas that we struggle with the most are in our areas of weakness where we struggle a lot. You know, believing that God is for us. Or maybe sometimes uh, past failures. Uh, it, it's hard in light of past failures or bad decisions or whatever you want to call them. It, it's hard in light of those things sometimes to believe you have a future, to believe you have a hope. <clears throat> so let me ask it again. Uh, do you believe God is for you? Well, I'll tell you, that's just a really important thing. Really, really important thing for all of us to wrestle with us, to not be superficial about it, to, to wrestle through it in your own soul. God, I believe you're for me. The disciples had a lot of wrestling to do after Jesus died and then rose from the dead and then appeared to them. I mean, what's going on here? This is crazy. Uh, the first time uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples, remember, it's in the upper room. It's on the day of the resurrection. That morning, the, the tomb was empty. And Jesus appears in the upper room and remember what it says, it's in John uh, 20, verse about 22. If you're open to John 21, it'd be easy to look back. But it, Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, where else does that happen in the Bible? In, in um, well, Acts 2, someone mentioned, but in Genesis chapter 1, God created Adam and Eve, and what did he do? He breathed on them and said, receive the, Holy, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that. He breathed on them and they became a living being. The breath of God represents the life of God. So when Jesus breathed on his disciples on the night uh, that he rose from the dead, he was giving them the life of God again for the first time since creation. It's a miracle that human beings again could have the very life of God Holy Spirit dwelling in them what's another picture 
remember the book of, of Ezekiel? Remember he had a vision? Uh, the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, out in this valley, there's all these uh, bleached white bones, dead, literally. No life in them. And God asked the, the prophet uh, a question. He said, could these bones live? The prophet's smart. <laughs> Only you know. <laughs> and then God says to the prophet, breathe on them. And he breathed on them. And all of a sudden, the bones, they got tendons and they got muscles and they began to rattle and they came alive and they became a mighty army. What was that a picture of? picture of the church it's a picture of what God was going to do after the resurrection he was going to breathe life into us we were going to be born again and so on the night that Jesus uh, rose from the dead of course he appears to his uh, disciples again and breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit and that was a wonderful experience but Things still didn't make sense. They didn't even understand why he died on the cross yet. I mean, they were a little confused. What, what's going on? Of course, Thomas wasn't there. Uh, so he refused to believe. Unless I see his hands, his side, I'm not believing. So aren't you thankful that Jesus is patient with us? A week later, Jesus appears when Thomas is there. And he says to Thomas, uh, see my hands? See my side? Stop doubting and believe. And, of course, Thomas immediately falls to the ground and says, my Lord and my God. That's a huge statement for a young Jewish boy. When he said, my Lord and my God, he's, he's referring to him as a God who created all things. He's referring to him as a God who parted the Red Sea, caused the walls of Jericho to come following down. That was a huge statement for Thomas. My Lord and my God. Uh, then Jesus went on and said, uh, it's great that you believe because you see, but he said, blessed are those who will believe even though they don't see. And of course, Jesus was talking about us. Talking about all those who would believe after the disciples who had seen him. Uh, he was talking about us. Blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen. How many believe even though you haven't seen? How many would die for Jesus? Even though you've never seen him, are you insane? Yes, Pastor, I am. I'm crazy for Jesus. I love Jesus. Bunch of fanatics in this church. Well, this morning we're going to look at a third time. Again, now understand, these disciples, they don't know beans from buckshot. They, they don't understand what's happening here. They're going to have to learn to believe in Jesus even though they can't see him. And that's new to them because they've been with him for three years. He's been doing all kinds of amazing things. And now they're going to have to learn to walk by faith, not by sight, just like we, the person next to you, those of you who are watching online, uh, just like we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm going to be in reading verse 1. And I'm going to do a little preacher license here. I'm going to do a little explanation as I read. It says, Verse 1, later, uh, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Uh, several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, the one who didn't believe, but then believed, of course, after Jesus showed his hands and sighed. Uh, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, 
uh, the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, uh, and two other disciples. So there are about seven of them. Okay, Jesus had told them to go forward uh, to Galilee and wait for them. So they've gone there, and uh, uh, now uh, he's about to appear to them, but not yet. Verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Uh, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, uh, but they caught nothing all night. Talk about frustrated. How many of you remember that Peter was a fisherman when Jesus called him? In fact, he called him away from fishing, didn't he? Remember the miraculous catch of fish in Luke chapter 5? Catches all these fish. And Peter realizes it's the Lord. He says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for men. Come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So he's called him away from fishing. What is he doing? He's going back to fishing because he knows fishing. He doesn't understand death and resurrection. What does that mean? I mean, we followed him for three years. He was alive. We watched the miracles, but he died. And now he's alive. He appears once. And now he disappears for several days. It's been a couple of weeks. I haven't seen him. So he's a little confused. And he says, I'm going fishing. Verse 4. By the way, they fished all night, caught nothing. Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? How many of you fishermen like to say no when someone asks you, did you catch any fish? I just have a feeling they didn't really enjoy this. No, they replied. Uh, then he said, well, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll catch some, smart aleck. Okay, so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. The disciple who Jesus loved. Who's the disciple Jesus loved? Yeah, he says it throughout this letter. Uh, for those who have never read it, John's referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So how do you refer to yourself? as the disciple Jesus loved? Anyone? Isn't that a great statement? He's saying this 60 years after he lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus for three years. Jesus, of course, has died and rose from the dead, but now, 60 years later, he's still saying, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he identifies himself in his life. Who are you, huh? I got a name, but I'm the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> Could anyone say hallelujah to that? I'm a disciple that Jesus loves. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, uh, for he had stripped for work, probably down to some, like, jogging shorts, or maybe he's in boxers, I don't know. Uh, jumped into the water and headed to shore. Okay, modesty is important in the culture here. He's going to see Jesus. He got dressed, dove in the water. Verse 8. Uh, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net uh, to shore, uh, for they were only a uh, hundred yards from shore. When they got there, uh, they found breakfast waiting for them, uh, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. How many have ever been out camping and the smell of breakfast cooking? You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, these guys are hungry. You know, they've been fishing all night. Aren't you thankful Jesus can cook? Cooks them breakfast there, and that had to be awesome. 
Uh, verse 10, bring some fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. Uh, there were 153 large fish. That's what I'm talking about. And yet the net hadn't torn. He's emphasizing the supernatural catch. Uh, 153 large fish, but the nets hadn't torn. Verse 12, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Uh, then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus said, Simon Peter, or he asked uh, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Why is that question important? Because the night before Jesus was crucified, remember, Jesus said to the disciples, they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, basically telling them they were all going to run for their lives, and they did. But what did Peter say? He said, Lord, they may run, but I'm not running. I would even die for you. So he's making a confession, Lord, I love you more than these. So Jesus is, uh, this is the first time he's had this opportunity to talk to Peter since he rose from the dead. Draws him aside after they've had breakfast. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then he says, feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said, third time, uh, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt uh, that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, did whatever you wanted. Uh, you were able to go and do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you to where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So in other words, Jesus is telling him, um, uh, when you were young, uh, you weren't ready. I know you thought you loved me, but now you're gonna learn to love me. And when you're old, you'll be ready. And people will take you where you don't want to go. You'll stretch out your hands. Basically, he's telling them he's going to be crucified uh, for his faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, in the meantime, then Jesus told him, follow me. Uh, so he's letting Peter know that one day he'll have an opportunity to die for him. Verse 20, uh, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. Who's that? That's John. He gives a little bit more explanation there. The one uh, who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Remember when they were having that discussion, Jesus said that someone was going to betray him, and John leaned over and asked, who? He's just identifying himself in that statement. Verse 21, uh, Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Is he going to die for you? 
Verse 22, Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. In other words, stay in your own yard. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. Uh, he said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Uh, this disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. John is referring to himself here, telling the truth. Verse 25, Jesus did many other things. Uh, if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world uh, could not contain the books uh, that would be written. Uh, this is a great story, obviously, and I'm so glad that John included it in his gospel. He's the only gospel writer that includes it. In fact, if you read John's gospel, it's almost like he thought about it after he had finished his book. Because in chapter 20, he, of course, records the resurrection. And then he finishes chapter 20 by saying, these things have been written in order that you may believe that Jesus is, is the Christ. And that in believing, you may have life in his name. And then he goes, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> he writes one more chapter. He writes about this story. And I, I'm so glad he did because it, it, it helps us understand some things about our life and about our journey of faith. Okay, for three years, they've been able to physically be with Jesus. And of course, I can't imagine what that would have been like to watch him live, to watch him love people, uh, to, to, to hear him teach. Uh, to see his kindness, <laughs> to see him walking on water, <laughs> to experience the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. I just, you know, <sighs> but now he's gone. He died on a cross. And, and, and he appeared to them. He's alive, but they don't quite understand it yet. He appeared to Thomas a week later. They saw him again. It's been a week. And now it's several weeks. He told him to go on up to Galilee. And now several weeks have passed. And they're learning what you and I have to learn here. How do we learn to trust? How do we learn to trust that he's with us? It says in Hebrews 13.5, he will never you know, fail us or forsake us. Some translations leave us or forsake us. How, how, how do we learn that? How, how do we know that that's true? How do we know the Holy Spirit is with us every day, that Jesus is literally with us every day? How do we learn to abide in him? I mean, he talked about that in John 15. He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Your life will not count. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, you know, they're wrestling through these things that he taught them, but they don't understand them yet. What, what does that mean, to, to abide, to abide in Jesus? They have to learn to be led by the Spirit. They've got to learn to hear his voice. They've got to learn uh, about the gifts of the Spirit and ministering in the Spirit, laying hands on the sick so that they'll recover. All the different things they saw Jesus do. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out in 40 days, but they still, they don't understand all of this yet. How do we learn? How do we learn to walk by faith 
not by sight. It's a challenge for all of us. It is certainly has been for me for the last 45 years. Heard a great illustration uh, a few years ago about learning to walk by faith, not by sight. Um, the speaker was learning to be a pilot. I don't know if we have any pilots here in the room. Anyone can fly? Um, yeah, well, me neither. But um, uh, he, he had taken, uh, completed the training, the initial uh, testing, the hours with uh, another pilot in the back, and he'd gotten his license. Uh, he knew just enough to be dangerous. In other words, you know, you get to that point where they go, okay, if you go kill yourself, at least we feel like we taught you something. So that's great. Uh, but he wanted to learn more. He wanted to become an instrument-rated pilot and, uh, because he wanted to be able to fly in all kinds of weather. He wanted to be able to fly above the clouds instead of underneath the clouds. You know, if you have a pilot's license, that awesome, that's awesome. You can fly on days like today. But you can't really go that far until you become instrument-rated so that you can fly above the clouds or you can fly at night or fly through storms and until you become instrument rated you're you're not you're not allowed to do that in order to become instrument rated you have to follow uh, the instruments on the dash that explain location that explain your altitude and whether you're going up or whether you're going down now, I know this sounds strange but as a pilot uh, it has happened People can be in a cloud bank and think they're going up when literally they're going down because they trust their senses more than they trust their instruments. Can you imagine? You know, you're trained to trust this instrument, but you get confused when you're in the clouds, and so you think you're going up, but you're going down, and all of a sudden you come out of the clouds and you don't have time to pull out, and, and it happens. See, a, a pilot has to learn not to trust their feelings. They have to learn to trust their instruments. Absolute trust. Your life depends on it. Well, uh, I remember my wife and I and kids, we were flying back from Washington, D.C. My kids were probably about seven and nine years old. We were on the last leg from Portland to Klamath Falls. And some of you will remember this. We were flying in what is affectionately was called back then the flying culvert. You know that? that horizon plane that wasn't quite tall enough to stand up in. You know, you had to kind of lean down as you walked through it. There was one row of chairs on one side and two on the other. Held about 30 people. Uh, prop plane. Uh, flew a couple times a day from Portland to Klamath. And we were flying back in a horrible, horrible spring storm. And that plane was bouncing all over the place. I set half the way with that white bag in my lap just you know ready and uh, it sleet and snow was passing by us as we were flying and every now and then we heard this clunk 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 I thought what is that finally the pilot comes on he says oh don't worry about that he said that's just ice coming off the propeller ice coming off the propeller I thought planes crashed when they got ice on the wings or ice on the propeller. So I'm a little frightened, okay? I don't know where we are, but when you get frightened, does your mind get weird? <laughs> My mind is getting weird. My son, who's about nine, his eyes are about this big. Pop, are we okay? You know, we're dropping down and coming up and dropping down. And snow's going past us outside. And... Uh, 
my mind's getting weird. I'm going, I hope he doesn't fly into Mount Scott or something. I, I hope he's trusting his instruments, in other words. You know, I hope, and I'm sorry, I'm so insecure. But anyway, finally, uh, I could feel he was starting to descent. And uh, that curtain uh, behind the cockpit was open and I could see through the pilot's windshield and we're just coming down through the clouds you know and it's not you can't see anything <laughs> I'm thinking I hope there's a runway <laughs> I hope there's a runway I hope there's a runway and finally he breaks through the clouds and there are the lights of the you know Klamath Falls Airport he touches down I went hallelujah <laughs> I got out of the plane I wanted to kiss the ground <laughs> I was so excited uh, because it was scary. So glad he trusted his instruments. Let me ask you a question. Are you an instrument-rated Christian? Have you learned to trust the instruments? Or are you following your feelings? See, we live in a culture that worships feelings. The truth isn't important anymore. What's important is how we feel about it. We commit a crime, well, what did he go through in his life? I mean, what brought him to this point? We, we live in a culture that's highly confused because they value feelings more than the truth. And if you're someone who's trained in your soul to follow your feelings can I say this as nice as I can your life's a mess it really is it's a mess because you have to have something solid to stand on in your life and the Bible says that God's word is true though every man's a liar but we all try to adjust it. We all try to pick the parts out of the Bible that feel best to us and leave out the parts that seem uncomfortable. They don't make sense. I mean, why would you do that? Now, I'm not trying to pick on anyone here or make them feel uncomfortable, but one of the things that's, you know, that I've watched over the last few years just uh, the idea of waiting to have sex till you're married? Who would do such a stupid thing? Shouldn't you drive the car before you buy it? I've actually heard people say that. Now, I realize I'm a prude and I'm old and so forth. Remember, Jesus had white hair. <laughs> and, you know, if... if if what I just said includes you, my apologies. But the truth is, there's a way that is God's way. And it works. It, it really does. It works. And uh, results in blessing for a lifetime. See, when you have... Did you know the percentage of divorce goes up if you have premarital sex? Twice. Doubles. Again, I'm not prophesying that for anyone. <laughs> okay, that's not my point. But my point is, God's ways do work, and when you've been in a marriage for 40 years, 
and you're as in love and more in love than you ever have been at 60 or 70 years old and you're fully devoted to that one person because God did something miraculous when you waited and you came together and you have a deep intimacy and a deep connection with that person for a lifetime. It works. It really works. God's ways work. Uh, you know, the Bible says, given it shall be given. Uh, one of the reasons we, as a church, try to give every opportunity we have, try to bless other people, is because giving is God's heart. He cares about people. He cares about people who have difficult circumstances and horrible needs. And occasionally DHS or one of the agencies in town will call us and talk about this person who's in a very difficult situation. We have a person in our church that works down there and they don't fit any of the boxes, but, but if they don't get help, they may die. They've been living on the street for a long time or whatever else. Can you help them because of your generosity? I just say, well, it's the Lord's. So. If I have an opportunity to give, I'm going to do it. And, uh, you, know, you know, God blesses, but it doesn't make sense uh, intellectually, emotionally, to honor the Lord with the first fruits of your income. I mean, that's just a huge challenge for a lot of people. It's not just those areas. It's choosing to swallow your pride and be kind when your feelings are hurt. Not defend yourself but allow the other person to be right. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. There, there are so many things in the Bible that work if we'll just do them, but you can't follow your feelings. You have to trust his word. And, and that's how you learn to walk by faith, not by sight, as we learn to trust his word. How many believe God is for us? I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes. But trusting his word is so important and, and it's so important for us, especially in the day we live. In a day when I feel more like, more masculine than feminine and therefore I want to change my sexual identity. I, I'm sorry if anyone is struggling through, uh, you know, the idea of same-sex attraction is a very real emotional and psychological things. Big part of our culture today. I love you. We love you. God loves you. But we can't change what is true in God's word. We need to change our lives to God's word, not rewrite God's word so that it fits our circumstances or adjust to our feelings. If we do that, we will create our own God and will become a nation of idolaters just like in the Old Testament. I'm so thankful, by the way, for grace. Could anyone say amen to that? The disciples needed grace. They didn't... They didn't they didn't understand. Peter got frustrated waiting. He got frustrated. He told us to come up here. But I don't know about you. I'm going fishing, okay? I know how to do that. Going back to what I used to do. And, and we have a tendency sometimes to turn our back on God because we just don't understand. It just doesn't feel right. 
God had a whole new plan for their life. He was going to pour out the Spirit in 40 days, and he was going to anoint them to preach the gospel. People were going to get saved and healed. It was powerful. And God has a whole new plan for your life. You see, the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I'm sorry about the things you put in your mind before you became a Christian. But the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and there's a renewal of our mind. Every person in this room, including me, if you don't work on renewing your mind and replacing lies from the enemy about yourself, about society, about whatever, if you don't replace the father of lies, lies, <laughs> you're going to be confused. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be depressed, downcast. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus, but you can't live that out if you don't replace the old tracks, the old nature with the word. It's just, and, and that's what the disciples had to do. It wasn't, it wasn't easy for them. But do you see what Jesus did here in these verses? I love this. They spent the whole night fishing and caught nothing. Talk about feeling like a failure. Peter knew he was going back, going away from what Jesus told him to do. At that point, he didn't care. At least they know how to fish. So he goes back and he fishes and caught nothing. Felt absolutely worthless. Helpless. So what does Jesus do? Shows up in the morning, invites him to breakfast. Is that your Jesus? When you fail, does he invite you to breakfast? Is that your Jesus? Do you understand how much Jesus loves us? Even in the midst of our failure, he prepares breakfast for us. It's just such a great picture. Unfortunately, you know, we get down on ourselves. We've all made mistakes. I've made as many as you have, trust me. My wife could tell you. <laughs> she keeps track. No, just season. Um, you know, um, how many of you have, you know, we've probably all had kids. Probably not many of us have small children. You guys do back there, little Zakiah. Um, you know when your child is uh, one year old and starts to walk? Does anyone get excited to see that? He, he took three steps. Awesome! You don't say, stupid kid, can't you just walk? Gosh, if you had a brain. Or, or, or they start to talk. They say a word. Or maybe, you know, you're hoping, dada, say dada. And she's going, mama, say mama. And you're hoping that, you know. Do you ever get frustrated at, you know, one and a half, they can't complete sentences, paragraphs, can't write a book. Stupid kid. Would you do that? So why do you do that to yourself? You're, you're learning to walk in the Spirit. You've never done that before. It's not easy. It's hard. You're going to fall down. You're, you're going to make mistakes. 
one of the things I love about this section, I'm obviously taking too long. Jesus comes to Peter. <laughs> you got to love this. Looks him in the eye. Peter, do you love me? And he doesn't bring up the failure. He focuses on the future. He says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. In the midst of his failure, Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep, care for my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He, he doesn't spend one second talking about Peter's failure. He focuses completely on the future and the calling that Peter has on his life. And I want to suggest that's what Jesus cares about in your life this morning. Not concerned about your weaknesses. It's, it's true that we all have them. And by the way, you'll have them till Jesus comes back. I know that's depressing, but it's true. <laughs> till we get out of this body, hallelujah. In the meantime, here's what Jesus, do you love Jesus? Here's what Jesus wants you to focus on in your life. Do you love Jesus? Then feed his lambs. All these lambs. All the lambs over in the children's ministry area. All his lambs out there at Fred Meyer. Do you love Jesus? What's your focus? Get frustrated with the government. Talk to other people about how stupid they are. How many think that's going to accomplish a lot? Do you love me? Do you love me, Jesus said. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Then care for my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. If you're wondering what God's will is for your life, I just said it. It's not, it can't get clear. That's what Jesus said to Peter, and that's what Jesus is saying to you. You're not going to find Jesus and peace out on a mountain somewhere where you're praying by yourself, although you do find him occasionally. Jesus lives in his church. He lives in you. He lives in me. He's working in people. You can't say you love Jesus if you don't love his people. You just can't. I know we're not very lovable, and I would be the first one to raise my hand and admit that that's true, but that is what is his passion. That's what he died on the cross for. He, he, cares. he cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about us. So you're, if you ask God, what am I doing? I'm building my church. If you ask God, what am I doing? I'm caring about the people all around you that you see all the time, that you walk in and greet at church on Sunday morning. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Someday you'll be ready to die for Jesus. I hope you are. I, I hope you get to that place. Jesus is real clear to Peter. That's, that's where we're going. And I want to tell you here this morning, that's where we're going. Hallelujah. I would love the privilege. I, I don't know if we'll get there in my lifetime, but I know we're headed there as a nation because every nation that falls away from God ends up killing Christians 
okay? There are more Christians being martyred today than ever in the history of the world, and someday it'll happen here in the United States. I know we can't conceive it in our mind, but that's where we're headed. Someone say hallelujah. Jesus said to Peter, that's how you'll glorify God. What greater privilege than to glorify God? What greater privilege than then for them to say, we can't use, you can't use the Bible. It's a hate book. Okay, it points out things like you just said already, Pastor, this morning. We're going to take you off the internet as a result of that. And you're not going to be able to preach anymore. You know what I would say? Hallelujah. But I would still meet with the church because Jesus said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, care for my sheep, and feed my sheep. That's his focus. Till he returns a second time. In the meantime... Don't get distracted. He said to Peter, Peter's going, well, what, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about him? What about all those bad people? What about him? Is he going to die for you? What about him? Jesus said in verse 22, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? Follow me. That's it. Don't worry about them. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Thanks for patience this morning. Such a, a, a simple chapter, but so practical for us as we're learning how to, how to walk in the Spirit, uh, learning how to trust in God's Word rather than our feelings as individuals and as a culture. I want to encourage you again. God's Word is true, though every man's a liar. And I uh, just want to encourage you, this book is full of guidance, full of direction, full of what you should do in whatever circumstance you're f facing. I believe that God is for us, that God is for you, whatever you're facing in your life. I believe, like it says in the scripture, eye is not seen, ears not heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man things that God has prepared for those who love him. I'm excited about that. I don't know what kind of things are going to happen in society. That's not my concern. My concern is following Jesus, keeping my focus on him. So we stand together this morning. And I'm not sure if I comforted the afflicted or afflicted the comfortable this morning. I'm not sure what I did. <laughs> I hope the word was good for you this morning. But Jesus, here this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for your patience with us. Lord, this picture of you showing up after fishing all night and catching nothing, this picture of you standing on the shore preparing breakfast for your disciples, Lord, is such, such a great picture of your welcome to each one of us this morning. And if there's anyone here who you feel away from the Lord, I want to encourage you. God is for you, not against you. Come back to him. He's, he's welcoming you. He's inviting you to breakfast this morning. Come, come back to him. If, if you've lost focus through this COVID season or whatever in your life and you're wondering, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Care for my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Lord, I want to thank you for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. You walk with us through the different seasons in our life. Lord, I ask you to, 
strengthen us here this morning. Give us confidence. Give us courage. Strengthen our faith. Help us walk by faith, not by sight. We thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, we say amen together.